reading this morning is from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 21 to 32. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locust and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Our television screens are filled with misery and pain. We see the massive destruction of war. Uh, everybody's suffering, humans, animals, the whole creation. We see the pain of, of droughts. As ministers in Southern Africa, we often, often had to deal with farmers who sat next to animals dying because of drought, because there was no food at all. What is written after the fall of humans in Genesis chapter 3 is true in our day. To Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, 
you will eat your food until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is the grim background of the book of Joel. This is the context in which Joel speaks his words. Hear this, ye elders, he says, listen all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? We cannot say that really. The droughts and the, and the pain of migration and war as much as the rest of the world can say it. But in Joel's time, this was the case where people suffered because of things that happened. And, and God calls this specific thing that happened to them a nation, a nation of locusts coming through the land, which we saw also when I was in Namibia, in the south of Namibia, where swarms of locusts came and destroyed everything in the wake of it. Listen to what Joel says. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. The result was that their livelihood was totally destroyed. It has laid waste my vines, fig trees, the fields, the grain, the new wine dried up, the olive oil failed. They had nothing. The vine is dried up, he says, and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, the apple tree, all these trees of the field dried up. Has not the food, he asks, been cut off before our very eyes? The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down, for the grain has dried up. All creation suffered. We read in the first chapter how the cattle moan, the herds mull about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up and fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. Can you imagine can you imagine such a situation? No, we can't. And this led to massive despair amongst the people. Despair, you farmers, he says. Wail, you, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field 
is destroyed. And that had a knock-on effect also into the people of God. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. And it took away every little bit of joy from their lives. Surely the people's joy is withered away. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The worst thing is that this has been the punishment of God for their sins. In chapter 1 we read about the day of the Lord that is near. It will come like destruction, he says, from the Almighty. In chapter 2 he says, Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. A timely warning that what we have can be taken away this very moment. It's hard to imagine this picture on a harvest Sunday when we look around us in this church and we see all the beautiful flowers, the potatoes, the cauliflower, all these kind of things. It is impossible to imagine such a situation for us while people can play around in the Western world with oranges like here. Abundance. That's what we have. We go to our shops. Everything is there. And we complain if we cannot get double cream. In this terrible situation of Israel, where they lost everything, God comes and intervenes. He announces a new harvest. And this is totally different from what we can ever imagine. If ever there was a reversal of a situation, it's here in this passage. Nature is restored. We read, do not be afraid, animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. You have not maybe lived in a, in a desert area like I did for about 14 years. The moment the rain starts to fall, people start looking for the green. And it is amazing to see that within days, even in the desert, you see the green coming through. And this is what God is saying. Things will change. Pastures will be restored. Trees are bearing their fruit. The fig trees, the vine Yield their riches, he says. He has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. 
He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. I can never understand that people in Northern Ireland complain about rain. I can never understand it. What if you didn't have it? What if you didn't have it? What if you had only sunshine and no rain? No green fields. There wouldn't be any tractors on the road. There would be nothing. And many people in this world live this way. He says their livelihood is restored. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And their joy will be restored again, he says. Remember, in chapter 1, verse 16, he said, Has not the food been cut off before our, our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. And then he says, Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God. For many people, harvest is about celebrating God's bounty and the fruit of creation. And many people would attend specially on a harvest Sunday. Maybe as a sign of gratefulness that they have food on the table. That the farmers had a good harvest. And obviously we thank God for all these great things. We recognize that every good thing, every good gift comes from above. We thank God for his faithfulness. But Joel goes much further than creation. Joel goes much further than many people would like Joel to go in our lives. When God blesses us, there is a total package. Not only part of it. God is not interested in giving you today what you need. Your food and your clothes and other material blessings so that you can have a good life. What a poor existence if that is what your life is about. Working every day just to survive just to have food on the table, going to bed in the evening, thanking God just that you could eat or that you could provide for your family. What a poor existence. The joy and the gladness, the praise in Joel for the change in their situation is connected to a change of relationship with God. There are two major points 
in this passage that we should understand and take very seriously. The first is that God's harvest of restoration means that God's blessings mean nothing in your life if you do not respond to his call to return to him. It means nothing. Just before the passage that we've read, we will see that the restoration of the people's situation follows a heartfelt return to God. In their situation of total destruction, the Lord came to them in chapter 2 and says, Even now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rent your hearts, not your garments. Don't come with something external and think that I will see it. Rent your hearts. Tear your hearts apart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He might turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord, your God. You see, God's nature is to forgive. He desires friendship with us. He desires a relationship with us. And therefore we read in chapter 2 verse 16 that all people are called to come and return to the Lord. Elders, children, even the bride and the bridegroom should come from their room, he says. The priests. Because God never deals with us as we deserve. He often uses hard circumstances in our lives to bring us back to himself. So that we can come to a point where we can understand that we can never really be happy without putting him first in our lives. We may think that we are blessed when we have food on the table, something to drink. But real blessings come from a restored relationship with God. And it begins when we hear his call of compassion. That he wants to change us from inside out. That he wants us to embrace his love for us and confess our sins. But secondly, God's blessings of restoration also mean nothing if we do not receive the gift of his Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, verse 28, he says, And afterwards I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. <coughs> your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. 
even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. What is God saying? God says that he will be present in our lives. And two things stand out here. The first is that God's spirit enables us to share God's will with people. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. God will communicate through us his will to other people. In Numbers chapter 11, we read that two men with the names of Eldad and Midat, who were elders in Moses' camp, did not go to the tent with the other people, but yet the Spirit of God rested upon them. And then a young man came to, to Moses and said, there's a problem here. These two young men are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua said to Moses, Moses, stop them. And then Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I wish that all the Lord's people would be prophets. I wish that all the Lord's people would have the Spirit upon them. And this is what Joel says, it will happen. And at the, the Harvest Festival in John chapter 7, we read that Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The second thing is that God's spirit is given to all people, irrespective of age, social class, or gender. Afterwards, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, sons, daughters, old men, young men, servants, men and women. In the people of God, nobody is excluded. And it includes all these people who were destroyed by their own sin, who were full of sin and guilt, those who look like they have been written off. God doesn't set boundaries around the circle of those who will receive, he, receive the gift of his spirit. God gives, but we shut out. We shut his spirit out. We do not allow his spirit to control our lives. But Paul says... That those who believe in Christ Jesus, in that community, 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female. All are one in Christ Jesus. We know all the stories about the the Pentecost that happened in Acts chapter 2. The people started to speak in all kinds of languages that people could understand. Said, "Uh, what's that? They speak in a language that I know. And then the people said, well, they must be drunk. They had too much to drink. And you know what Peter does? In his first speech after Pentecost, he quotes Joel chapter 2. He says, this is the fulfilling of the prophecy made to Joel that I will pour out my spirit on all people. They are not drunk. They are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, under the direct command of the Holy Spirit. His power is in them. That is real blessing. Douglas Stewart writes, Those who live in the age of the Spirit cannot expect God to restrict any ministry of the Spirit from anyone simply because he or she is old or young, male or female, or high or low standing socially. Where churches try to do that, they risk missing the fullness of God's blessing. I'm so happy to say that we have a group of young people who are willing to be channels of God's will also tonight at our service. I'm so happy to say that there are so many older people in our congregation filled with the Holy Spirit, being channels of His grace, men and women, and we're reaping the blessings of that. May God continue to do that by His Spirit, that more and more people will be channels of the will of God in our community. God's harvest of restoration means nothing if we do not allow the Spirit of God to dwell amongst us and in us. So what happens when we ignore these blessings of return to God? Of God's Spirit? What happens then? This passage ends, and also the whole book of Joel, Joel chapter 3, ends with a reference to the coming of the great day of the Lord. This day is clearly a day of reckoning. It's a day of judgment. It is a mighty appearance of the Lord to judge the nations. You and me included. But this is also a time of God's grace 
warning us that at some stage we will stand before the living God. And we will have to make or be accountable before him. He says, it, I will show wonders in heaven and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In the Old Testament, this meant judgment of the nations and celebration for Israel because of the salvation that God would bring. And in Joel, this whole dreadful day of the Lord, the curse of that was turned around by God's grace into blessing when he restored everything in their existence. When the New Testament looks at this passage, different passages in the New Testament, we see that sometimes it is connected to the return of Jesus Christ. Or that day when darkness fell, when Christ was crucified. It is a very important day that we will stand before the Lord, according to the New Testament. What then? What will happen then when we have rejected the blessings of God in our lives? When he came to us in compassion and said, return to me. What will happen when we reject it? The work of his spirit amongst us in our lives. On that day, there's only one group that will survive. And Joel says that material blessings will count for nothing. Then harvests and bounty and food on our tables and clothes on our back will be of no importance because only one thing will count. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no other escape. This is not an emergency kind of call. No, if we look at the Old Testament, it means that those who have called upon him, those who have worshipped him consistently and exclusively, those who have openly acknowledged him in the midst of a hostile environment. That's what it means to be calling upon the name of the Lord. And when Paul speaks about it in Romans 9 to 11, about the election of Israel. He says, people who knew the truth turned their backs on Christ Jesus. The gospel came to them. The blessing of God came to them. And they misused it. They misunderstood it. 
but everyone, and then he quotes this, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he means the name of Jesus Christ. Committing your life to him in worship and praise. Remember the compassionate call of the Lord in chapter 2, verse 12. Even now, return to me with all your heart. On the day when the Lord will bring in the harvest of his people, when he gathers people from all nations, from all over the world, only one thing will count whether you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Not how much you have, not how many farms or tractors or businesses or retirement annuities you have, but whether you have responded to the God of blessing who stands before you and say, return to me. And you know what? I will make you a blessing to other people. You will be in a direct relationship with me. You will know my will. And you will share my will with people around you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you bless us with so many things. But we recognize today that we sometimes do not understand your blessings, that it's a total package, that you're not only interested in our material well-being, that you want us to be a restored human being in a relationship of friendship with you. So we come before you and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would enter our lives this morning, that we would be prophets for you, that we would understand your will and share it with others. We turn to you, Lord, because we know that without you, we can build our houses and our kingdoms, but it will mean nothing. So come, and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can be a community that will bring in the harvest for you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.